Welcome to the Expert Speak Podcast with Michael DeLon. Each episode features a leading expert who shares helpful insights, practical tips, and memorable stories that will inspire you, educate you, and help you enjoy more success, freedom, and purpose in your life. For the next few minutes, enjoy listening to Expert Speak with Michael DeLon. And welcome to another episode of Experts Speak. I'm Michael DeLon. Today, I am talking with Dan Capril. Dan, uh, it, well, Dan, thanks for thanks for being with me, man. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on your show. We come yeah. from the same world, so it's always nice to uh, right. talk to someone who <laughs> thinks like I think. Kind of, kind of reminds me of Mork and Mindy, right? Coming from the same world. I don't know why that hit my mind, but uh, Dan is, um, Dan's got a whole background. He's been a financial advisor, still is. Uh, he helps other financial advisors, other attorneys uh, create profitable businesses through systems, through marketing. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely speak the same language. And I, I wanted him to be on this um, just to, to share with my audience. How do you go about philosophy wise and, and practical marketing? How do you grow a business? So, Dan, um, give us just a snapshot. Yeah, kind of your, your background and how yeah. you run a business without being there all the time. That, that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, Great question. Well, yeah, like you said, I started off as a financial advisor and I was never comfortable with the traditional ways of getting clients. Um, even though I'm not an introvert by any stretch, I'm, I don't know, I'm just highly insecure maybe when it comes to just talking to people that I don't hardly know and trying to make them clients. That's just not me. I don't want to be an annoyance to anybody. So I had to come up with a system before I even became a financial advisor. I was thinking about it. Because uh, I was kind of working in that industry, but not as an advisor. So I kind of knew everything to be an advisor. I just wasn't practicing as well. So I need to come up with a system for marketing that I was comfortable with. And that's when, and this just goes back, gosh, almost 30 years. But this is when the idea of doing um, financial planning seminars was relatively new. And the way I did them was a little different than the way they're done today. Today, unfortunately, they're more product focused, they're free dinners and stuff like that. What I did was I charged people to come to a university and I would give the, the seminar over three weeks. So they were going to invest um, wow. almost uh, about seven and a half hours with me. Okay. And um, the, the thought was if they weren't sold on me by then, they were never going to get sold by me. That's right. And by paying, they were only going to be only the truly interested would come. And that model worked great. It continues to work great um, today. I mean, COVID certainly um, was a damper on it. But this idea of uh, not trying to be everything for everybody and to, you know, you know, charge where people would give free stuff away was right. something I was very comfortable with. So I built the practice that way. And like a lot of business owners, the book, The E-Myth, really rang home with me. But right. unlike a lot of business owners, I actually implemented that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I have a unique ability. I'm not afraid to implement stuff and quickly too, like, like yesterday. You know, people say, you know, you're a little ready, fire, aim. Yeah, maybe. But, right. you know, when I see people procrastinate, I mean, time is a resource you don't get back. Right. So, and at 58, I mean, I'm really aware of that. So, you know, I'm a very quick implementer. So I saw from the beginning, like what McDonald's was doing based on reading that book right. and realized that's how you got to build a planning practice. It's got to be systems oriented. Absolutely. So I always had this reputation amongst my peers. The perception was on them that 
I had this really large successful practice, but I didn't work very hard. Right. And, and that wasn't really true, but I worked very smart. And I, you know, I had a systems in place that once you create these systems, anybody can run them. Right. So as a result of that, um, it, you know, it created the appearance and, and, and to a certain extent, it's right. I mean, I do have a lot more freedom today. I live 300 miles from the office so I can kind of live wherever I, I want to live. And so that was all part of the plan. Right. And so um, I did that. And what happened was a lot of other advisors start to seek me out and they wanted to know how I did what I did. So I thought, okay, there is a business here. Mm -hmm. I don't like the word coaching because it seems like, gosh, everybody's a so-called coach. And so yeah. much of coaching today is, is about, at best, telling you what to do, but not actually helping you get it done. That's right. So I always say, I'm, I'm not a coach, I'm an implementer. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a coaching program. We have an implementation program. Mm -hmm. um, but before I could launch that product, I need, you know, and you're going to love this, but I really felt I needed to launch it with a book. Well, there you go. So the name of the name of the, the product and the company is advisor architect. So I said, all right, I'm going to write a book called advisor architect. And now in my case, I was fortunate in that having been a journalism major, I'd always enjoyed writing as a kid. And so this was really the ability for me to finally achieve the writing ambitions that I always had. Now, having said that though, I'm at best a short story writer. I have no desire to sit there and crank out 800 pages. Couldn't do it, could right. not. Do it. But if you give me a format like a, you know, a lead magnet book, sure. then I can do it. And, and so that's kind of what I did is I would just, you know, and there's, there's a number of good books out there that on how to write a lead magnet. And I just kind of, again, I'm an implementer. So I'm like, I can do this. And so I wrote that first book. And then that led to a second. And I think we're up to now seven or eight books mm -hmm. uh, because with new products came new books. Now, these books are all about 100 pages. Yeah. Um, they're probably all about, I don't know, maybe 10,000 words. So they're not super lengthy and they're not supposed to be because but I know that a lot of people are going to wear the book won't even read it. It's a lead magnet book. It's a lead magnet book, but some people like me do. So over the weekend, I, I read, I've got four of your books, I think. I read two of them this weekend, Dan, because they're short. They're yeah. easy. The way you, you wrote it and format it was great. And I thought, this is really good. Well, and I write them the way I talk. So, right? Thank you. Thank so you. They're, they're going to be, they, they should be somewhat easy to read in that respect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, when I was a kid, I had this one teacher a real, a real hard ass teacher, but he was good, but he would, you know, when it came, we had to do a book report. I don't know, every two weeks, but he'd give you the book. You didn't get to pick the book. He gave you the book. Okay. And, and so you would always hope, of course, that he would give you a book that had large print and pictures, <laughs> <laughs> which for some reason, even though the book could have been super hard and, and could have been super long, that helped. So when I write a book, I always use large font. Yep. And I always throw in pictures because I want people when they're thumbing through it to see, oh, this is, e this is a fun read. You know, this yeah. is easily digestible. Um, so that's, you know, so that's what I've done. And, and at this point, I, I try to write one a year. Um, I'm in the process of um, theorizing one right now, which will be all about the, what I would call the five stages that most 
um, financial planning firms should aspire to go to mm-hmm. from, from the startup to, to, to the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the others that I've written, I, I wrote two on, on the life of a financial advisor. One would be advisor architect, which is all about building the practice you always wanted. Then there was renegade advisor where I took a lot of the principles of Dan Kennedy and put right. those and relay them to the book. Um, I just recently uh, published a new one called um, Renegade Mindset, which is more about the, well, I guess you could say um, it's think and grow rich for financial advisors, if you will. And I, and I, and I had a co-author with that, uh, Nina Cook, who's, who's from Great Britain, and, and she specializes in mindset training. Okay. So I thought that would be great to have a book for financial advisors to do that. Um, I wrote a book on selling. Um, so most of these things, again, they, 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 they tell a lot about my systems and then ultimately that hopefully leads to somebody wanting to engage me further. Yeah. I love, and, and one thing that you just mentioned, you just dropped that in that, that you don't hear many people in your position say is you said, well, you know, I, I, I took a lot of what Dan Kennedy did and I put it in yeah. the book or I've done this from thinking grow rich and put you, yeah. you actually said that in the book and you basically said, you know, what I'm going to tell you is not new. Right? Yeah. I got everything. And most gurus don't do that. Most coaches. Oh don't. no. They want you to think that they are. And unfortunately, most gurus get exposed as frauds. Phonies, That's right. That's right? right. I mean, yeah. let's face it. Tony Robbins is a big phony, right? Totally. I mean, totally he, phony. He took everything from Jim Rohn, right? Yeah. yeah. He's and a great marketer. He's let's great face marketer. it. There's people who we go see on stage and they're a bunch of big phonies too, right? Oh. <laughs> oh. Wait, I can oh. rattle them off, but I won't. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yes. And, and, and so I knew right away that, um, one, I've always felt that way. Yeah. So I'm not going to join them. What I'm going to do. I've always felt if you take the against position in marketing, which means you go against the establishment, you become more appealing as a marketer. Absolutely. So even when it comes to stuff like this, I'm like, guys, look, I learned, I'm like you, I'm a financial advisor. I've made every mistake under the sun. I said, if I've had two things go for me, one is I won't quit. And number two, I'm fast to implement. So if something doesn't work, I learn quickly. And, um, and, and so, uh, and I won't let it get me down. You know, I just, I just plug up. So, but everything I've learned, I've learned from somebody else. And I actually try very hard to tell them where I heard it from, right? you know, and, and, and kind of work it that way. But most of the stuff that I've learned was a little general and I made it specific to my industry. And yes. that's really where the value came. Yeah. So, okay. Right. So you could say, you know, well, write a, you know, if you're a financial advisor, you should write a book. Well, okay. I'll take that concept and actually write a book that I can co-author with an advisor and he only needs to write one chapter and I'll give him an editor and, you know, and it happens very quick. Done. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. So, but that goes back to your implementation mm-hmm. aspect and doing doing it quickly because you and I yeah. know that most people think about it forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the the other aspect is you're an implementer, right? And I think a lot of business owners aren't. No. And they need to hire an implementer. Yeah. And say, okay, build a system at a time. Yes. But get it get it done. Yeah. In fact, I discourage most business owners from being the implementers because it's not their skill. Right. What I want the business owner to do is to evolve to that old expression of working on their business rather than in their business. Yes. And so if I'm going to try to do, say, video editing, I'm going to be terrible at it. Just terrible. I got this huge learning curve. I I wouldn't, but I can hire somebody who can do it like that. So get it out immediately and, um, you know, it'll work great. So 
Yeah, if you're just gonna go, and I see this all the time, where people go, they go the same meetings that we go to, year to year to year, and they're just learning stuff, but they've never actually applied it. Um, I was in a, um, I was in a mastermind group with a bunch of marketers, all from other industries, and uh, I got very frustrated because, you know, it's only a one-year program, but by six months, it was very clear there were maybe of the 12, 14 people in this group. Only about four of us are actually doing anything. Yeah. You know, maybe two had real businesses. Mm-hmm. And then and then maybe four were actually applying stuff. And the rest of them would come to every meeting and talk about why they couldn't get done what they did before. Right. And I was just like, I got to get out of this. I mean, I'm paying money here, you know, and I'm not so, you know, and I'm not against, you know, mastermind groups. I think I think they're they're really good. You just have to do your due diligence with them. Absolutely. Um, you know, because otherwise, um, you know, it, it, sometimes, you know, one or two people end up carrying the whole thing. And Right. You know, make it, and so, making sure you're putting yourself in the right room. Right. But you got, so, you know, I don't think the key to implementation is motivation. I think the key to implementation is to find somebody to do it for you. I, Absolutely. I, for, for most people, not everybody. Right. But, but for most people, the key to implementation is fine. Hire somebody. So like when we, when we created Advisor Architect, originally it was your traditional here's what you should do mm-hmm. and then after one year when i had the like the beta group go through so to speak they weren't getting anything done. and i had them back in a meeting on my die and i because i was yeah. learning from them and i said okay we got to figure this out and then finally it's like i looked at them all and said I'm, I'm being unrealistic aren't i i mean you all have lives you all have business yeah. you do. all right fine we're gonna we're gonna implement so you know, now we have, you know, we have editors on staff, we have uh, video people, we have podcasters on staff. I mean, we had all these, not, not on staff, part right. of the team. Part of the team. So <laughs> when, when someone joins, I pay those people to get that stuff done for them. Right. Yeah. And that, the, and you just said something right there that, that should open the, the mind of a business owner listening to this is they're on the team. Okay? Yeah, they're on you the team. team. You're, they're not on your payroll. No, they're not. Please. I just, I just 1099 them, you know, they get, totally. you know, we have, and I put their price, what they cost me into the product price. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very easy to do. Someone come, like Nina, for example, when I, when I did the book with her, I said, this is great. Now we have to have a, we have to have a mindset system. And I said, right. I need you to run it. So basically I built that cost into the program. Yeah. And, you know, whenever someone joins, she's the first person they, they talk to and I pay her. So I just pay her as we go. If I don't make a sale, I don't pay her anything. That's right. Um, and it's the same with, with all the other um, people that we have, um, the Infusionsoft designer, the, the podcaster, the video people, you know, there's a, there's a whole slew of them. Um, and, you know, I factored that into the price. Right. So that, that takes up about 20% of the total revenue cost, which was fine. I just raised the price of the program. That's right. That's how the right. program went from being at one time. Well, one time was a $5,000 program, but that when it went from being a $15,000 program to a $30,000 program and more people wanted it at 30 than at 15. Why? Well, one, it was perceived as being better because it cost. Sure. Me. That's right. But, but two, they got a lot more stuff. And, and as a result, I don't get any negative feedback. That's right. You know, because it's like, you know, they're working with really good people, people that I first worked with. Sure. And um, people that I only pay when the job is done. Yeah. And so if they have an issue with anything, they go to those people. They don't come to me. That's right. 
So no. it really works out. It, it, well, it does. But again, that's that's the mindset that you have that yeah. you started with, right? And, and too many times business owners don't even have that right mindset. Yeah. You, you said that, you know, you work, what, 300 miles away from your office. And you yeah. said that's that's how it was going to be from the beginning. You, you have this vision. How do you build the business to support your life? Yeah. Let, me, let me tell you a story about that. And this kind of goes back to when I first um, came across the book, um, The E-Myth. So the, the gentleman, the friend of mine who gave it to me, his name was Clifford Beach, who sadly, he was my age at the time. This was about 30 years ago. And he had, he had overcome cancer when he was in college. And then sadly, he, he got it again and, and passed mm -hmm. away. But he had um, he'd not only given me the book, but he, told, he was an attorney. He told me about a conference he went to. And it was, there was a speaker who was an attorney who talked about how he only works three days a week. And the reason was because he'd had a lot of issues, coronary issues, stress. And the doctor told him that if he didn't drop it to three days a week, he would die. So he took that very seriously because I think he was a reasonably young guy. Yeah. And he brought his team together and he said, look, I can only work three days a week. So we're going to have to develop a system or strategy, a process where we can still make the same amount of money, but I only work three days a week. And they did it. They made more money. And of course, the, the, the moral story was, why did I have to wait till I almost died before I did that? Why didn't I do that now? And so that to me, you know, and I remember this is all this. It's like the most important car ride in my life, really. <laughs> I think about it because that one stunk it. Stunk it. And I go, okay, well, if I wanted to live 300 miles away from my office, and it wasn't that, it was just that, you know, I wanted to live in Nashville and the office was in Cincinnati. So if I wanted to do that, how would I do it? Yep. And, and then you, you start, you start doing it. And listen, you don't have to do it, but you know, and then the other part was something Dan Kennedy said, which was, you know, a real entrepreneur can live anywhere he wants. Yes. And he's right. And, and, and I'm a big thing on that definition of the word entrepreneur. This gets back to the, the E-myth. Yes. Because people who think that just because they own a business or they they are sole proprietor, that they are entrepreneurs. And I, and I always say to so-called entrepreneurs, they say, let me ask you a question. If you went away for a year, would you make more money? You know, you didn't do any work. And they go, well, no. So, yeah, you're not an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Well, entrepreneurs don't run the day-to-day -day operations. You know, right. Now, trust me, we all start as business owners. Right. And if you're running, if, if you're involved with the day that you're a business owner, but what, the reason I want to emphasize the distinction is that you have something else you could aspire to, that there's another level. Yeah. So I'll get on every once in a while on social media, the, you know, I'm in various groups and, you know, so well, I was an entrepreneur and I'm like, you're not an entrepreneur. Not, and then yeah. they go, well, Webster says, and I'm like, fine, you want to, you want to do Webster's? Fine. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. But yeah. entrepreneur means you're being entrepreneurial. All right. right. And, and, Regardless, you know, come with your own definition. I think that everybody who owns a business would love to aspire to where they're working more on rather than in, which means they spend less time doing the day-to-day. -day. They spend almost no time doing the day-to-day. -day. Maybe they spend time on marketing strategy. Maybe they play a little bit of role as a CFO just to see where their profits are going. Right. Uh, but then they spend the rest of their time either building other businesses or just enjoying life. Right. And it's, and it's what you want to do because yeah. there's not a, you know, I'm, I'm a dear friend of mine, uh, New Mexico. He built a multi-million dollar uh, home inspection business, right? Yeah. Now he's out building, you know, he's got a real estate business. He's got, he, he just keeps building businesses because that's what he just loves to do. And that's what he enjoys to do. But on the other hand, and I say this a lot to financial advisors, on the other hand, if you're really comfortable where you are, 
and you want to spend time doing whatever you want to do, God forbid, spend time with your family, um, do it. Don't listen to the companies that you work with who tell you you have to get to a higher production level. Screw them. That's right. Right. You're, you're in this for yourself. And um, so I, I one of the things I, I another thing I, I tell financial advisors to do is to aspire to where they close their office, not meaning closing it. We don't do business. They right. close it to new clients. We don't take on new clients. Anymore. Oh, there you go. And while you may perceive that as being somewhat anti-marketing, you're still going to do marketing. Oh, yeah. But you're going to be highly selective in who you bring on. And you've also done the math. You understand the math of your business. You understand your own net worth. Yeah. So that you are more than comfortable with the amount of profit you bring in and what your net worth will be at various stages of life. Yeah. And if, and if you're good with that, you're good with that. Okay. At, you know, whether you have 5 million in the bank or 50 million in the bank, when you die, you're dust. You that's know, right. I mean, you got to remember that we're, yeah. we're still dust. That's right. So, I mean, God doesn't keep that kind of scorecard. Right. At all. <laughs> God ain't going to judge you based on how much money's in your portfolio. Okay. Yeah. So, at so, all. You know, we, we need reminders of that because again, time is that only resource we can't get back. Yeah. And you mentioned it in, in your book that I read. And I know you talk about it a lot is the difference between driving for revenue yes. versus profit. Yeah. Talk about that. Cause that isn't, that's insane. Well, so, you know, I'm now obviously in the services industry. Right. Now, if I was in retail, you know, you, you, you've got this cost of goods sold and, and sometimes you're even controlled as to what you can charge. Right. But in our line of work, you know, we pretty much determine what our profit margin is going to be. And again, in financial advisors, we work with a lot of product providers who only make money when we sell something. Right. So they are constantly trying to get us to sell more and more and more to the point where they will even discourage you from thinking about profits. They will tell you that a 25% profit margin is good. When in our industry, quite frankly, it should be 60. Yeah. Or I'll just put it to you this way. The size of my practice is probably four times that, if not more than the average financial advisor, probably more. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing it with a 60% profit margin. So if I can do it, why can't somebody else do it? That's right. And when you say, well, it's easy because you're bigger. No, I get more clients to service. And in fact, I was always at 60%. Now, this comes back to what you said about knowing what you want. Right. And I'm saying to people, look, success as a financial advisor is not about having $500 million of money under management. It's not. Success is about, in my opinion, being able to stop working anytime you want and being your largest client because you built up enough profit Yes. that you were like, you know what? I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Now, the vendors will never tell you to do that because again, they, they need you. But that's, this isn't about them. This is about you and your clients. Yeah. So, so if you look at your net worth, and you could do this for any industry, you look at your net worth. And when I say net worth, I mean liquid investments, okay? Please, if you're a small business owner, get over this, this crazy idea that you're going to sell your business for a ton of money. You that's won't. Right. You that's won't, right. okay? So stop looking at the sale of your business as your retirement plan. That's a crappy retirement plan. Now, look, if I'm wrong and you have still amassed $5 million in, 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 in investments, great. Good for you. Yeah. But just assume that, you know, your business is worth the furniture. I mean, seriously, this is a big issue when you saw all the issues with GKIC. How many times has GKIC been bought? Why? Because it's, it's all about one person's name. That's right. Okay. Now, Absolutely. 
and they knew that. But that's that's so that's the point is that your business is not as valuable to somebody else as it is to you, unless you have some patent and technology or, or something. I'm just talking about the average small business owner who maybe owns a brick and mortar operation, stuff like that. So focus on profit. Yes, you have to invest in your business. You have to invest market, but treat it, but literally take the time to plan the year out and say, okay, this is my expected revenue. This is how much I'm going to spend on marketing. This is how much I'm going to spend on, on salaries, et cetera. And know at the end of the year, what the profit margin is going to be. And if that's not acceptable, fix it. Yep. Look at it and say, okay, what am I going to adjust? Because nobody gets to Mount Everest by just wandering around Tibet. That's you got to right. plan that. That's a canned line of mine, but it's so true. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, and, 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 and they don't get up the mountain by carrying everything. And in your book, you said, hey, look at your expenses and cut some things. Cut the. Yeah. Well, there's always waste. Oh, there are always waste. We right? all have waste. We, you know, I always like to joke with clients. You know, I'll, 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 I'll say to them, I go, I guarantee you that you, you've got subscription channels you haven't watched in a year. You're right. How did you know? How did I not know? That's right. Yeah. Because we How did I not know? I guarantee you, you, you waste food. Yes, yeah. you do. Okay. Yeah. You know, so we all have it. But in businesses, it could be thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, I'll tell you what the biggest waste is. People. Mm -hmm. um, your typical financial advisor who has a reasonably good size practice, mm -hmm. so maybe maybe revenues are somewhere around three quarters of a million to a million, almost always is overstaffed. And they, they can't believe I, I say that. And you know, I say, well, look, my business is twice yours and I only have one full-time person. In fact, that's it. I got one person who's an admin. That's it. So I said, let's compare what you're doing to what I'm doing, okay? Mm -hmm. And we start listing out the things that these four people do. Now, the first observation is that the advisor often doesn't have any idea what the people do, which is right. eye-opening in of itself. Totally. But then the second thing is when they start, we start listing them down and we're done. And I look at them and I said, have you drawn a conclusion? And I said, yeah, I'm paying four people full-time to do part-time work. There you Let go. Of the best of these four, could they do all four of those things? Without a doubt. But I don't think they'd want to. Well, what if you paid them 20% more than what you're paying them now? You're still saving chunk by letting the other three go. Yep. Now, listen, I'm not in the business of trying to get people fired, but one of the most inefficient things you can do is bring on staff that you don't need. Yeah. If the type of your business requires specific roles, like, you know, this person has to operate that piece of machinery while sure. doing that, I get it. Yeah. That's not the way most service businesses operate. And at least financial advisors, heck no. That's so, right. There are literally full-time jobs given to people who really have part-time responsibilities. Absolutely. And, and you, you, you talk about that in your book and you talk about the importance of systems that can do a lot of what we pay people to do. The computer is built with these systems. Well, I mean, but a system is a couple of things because a system means that this is how it's going to get done. Mm -hmm. So you're going to reduce dramatically a lot of wasted effort. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean a computer does it, mm -hmm. but here's how we do it. So when, when someone says it's taken me three hours to do a task that I know should take 20 minutes, that's because they're not approaching it in a systematic way. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is have McDonald's has a set way for the fries. Yes. Okay? It's, it's, it's the same way in every store. That's why they yep. all taste the same. Yep. So you don't get to improvise on the fries if you're at McDonald's. And so what's important, number one, is that you have a system for every key aspect of your business, that it's documented that you are educating your staff on how to use it because otherwise it's a waste if you're not That's doing right. that right 
And then yes, to the extent that automation or outservicing can be brought in, do mm-hmm. it. So I have no, I do not have enough work to hire a full-time Infusionsoft person. Don't. But yep. I have a lot of work to, for Infusionsoft. So it's so much easier and cheaper for me to outsource that yep. than it would ever be to try to bring somebody. And yet you'd be amazed how many large practice people I know that would just hire full-time Infusionsoft person. Are you out of your that's insane. Mind? Yeah, that's insane. You know what it speaks to? Empire building. See, mm-hmm. some, some people have what I like to call Lord Grantham syndrome. Now, uh, if you ever watch Downton Abbey, uh, the, the main character is Lord Grantham. He's got this big English estate and there's just zillions of people who depend upon him. Yeah. And the estates are going bankrupt because the industrial revolution is taking over now. <laughs> and so one by one, these things are falling. Yeah. And there's a, there's a really cool scene where his son-in-law, who's a commoner, is explaining to him, you got to run this place differently. And Lord Grantham says, but you don't understand. You know, I'm here to take care of all these people. And he said, well, that's the thinking that put your last three buddies out of business. You yeah. know, they had to sell their property to pay the taxes because that was the other thing that was happening is England was getting more and more socialized. Yeah, so the taxes were huge. And these estates should, and even today, you know, there are people who own these estates Oh, yeah. and they, they can't even rep- repair the roof. Right. But, um, actually, there's a great movie kind of about that to a certain extent um, called The Gentleman that came out a couple of years ago. But in any event, um, so what you have to do is you have to understand that the purpose of being a business owner is not to be employing people. But there are people who have Lord Grantham syndrome and mm-hmm. their ego is served by having people work for them. Their ego is served by having a company meeting and having 30 people. All right, look, that's fine. If that's your vision, fine. It's not mine. It's not mine. And it's not the, and even most people have all that staff. It ain't theirs either. There are some there is. I've met them. Yeah. But, um, but there's others that would just be like, you know, hey, if I could do all this with one person or zero people, and I still have people working with me. Oh, yeah. But I wouldn't have to be on the dole for everybody. And then I can go home with 60% of the money rather than 20% of the money. Hey, I'm all for it, you know, because the, the thought is we'll just keep growing the pie bigger and then that 20% is more money. Well, it's true, but the time and the effort that you put in and you can't get that back. Right. Because again, we're only on the earth for so long and the emerald dust. So you want to think that through. Yeah, very much so. And I, I love how you you structured advisor architect is how to, how to grow a more profitable business because businesses are profitable, mm-hmm. but you're really focused on growing a more profitable business. And that, that's not always getting more clients or growing yeah, the business. Yeah. And sometimes it is, but yeah. I'm just saying, look, if when I meet with an advisor first time, the, one of the first questions I ask is how much money do you want to take home? And I would say half the time, we can do that without them change, without them bringing in more clients. Because when I look at how they're set up in their current revenue, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, okay, you're, you're taking home 150 and you're bringing in 600,000 revenue. You don't think we can run your business for 300 and you take home 300,000? And you know, the response is almost always, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> well, what other way is there to think <laughs> about it? And don't think these, and, and really for people who are listening, these people are not dumb people. Oh, no. They have just gotten so caught up in the running of the business and that you always have to get more clients, more clients, more clients yeah. that they never really thought it through fully. Yeah. And it sometimes takes an outsider to look at it and say, why do you do it this way? Mm-hmm. 
you know? And it's like, I don't know. I've always done it that way. Well, you realize anyway. that this marketing system that you've been using has never really been very profitable for you. In mm -hmm. fact, it's taken you five years to make money on it. No, I just assumed. Right. Well, you have a 25% profit ratio, not a 60% profit ratio. That's right. So, it's, it's, again, but it does get back to your individual vision. Totally. And, and, then, and, that's, and that's important. But just try to avoid this idea that, you know, I, I think I said this to you before we went on, which was, you know, a guy who's, who's got 30 million in assets, but has 30 million in debt, in my, in my mind, is broke. Unfortunately, right. in society's mind, he's quite successful because he has all these assets. Right. And um, they only see the outside. They don't see the monthly nut that he's paying every month. Exactly. And as soon as no one will finance that anymore, it, it falls apart very quickly. Yeah. So just, just understand that, that really, at least in my view, as a financial advisor, success is defined by, you know, your personal network, liquid network, uh, because then that has some, you know, some real meaning. And then if you make more money off your practice, great. But if not. Yeah. Well, I think it's great. That's why that's why I love talking with you. And why I wanted to hear is because you you have a unique way. You're you're, you're very um, and take this the right way. Dan Kennedy -ish in that you you have a way of speaking the truth that that opens people's eyes because you don't fluff around. You're like, well, here it is, but you're not caustic. It's the, it's the, well, I can be, but it's the New Yorker in me. <laughs> People always like those guy. Well, the thing you're gonna like about Dan is the thing you're gonna hate about Dan, and that is if he if he feels something, he's gonna tell you. You know, he doesn't really uh, you know. But just to kind of get back to the whole thing about books and in the implementation and all that, um, that is without a doubt the best marketing thing tool you can do. Um, and look, there's been many books written on the value of a book, yeah. but the thing I just want to emphasize to your listeners is that. It's not an overwhelming task. Um, there's a system to it. There's many approaches to do it. You can work with a company like yours where they'll do everything. In my case, I actually like kind of writing the book, but I'll have pay somebody to edit it. But the credibility that it offers is great. And it's, it's the cornerstone of my marketing because what I do is I market the book, not my company. Yes. And so when people order the book, then, then I start marketing my company. I want people to raise their hand. Yes. And say, you know, this narrow niche book interests me. And now I, so I'm building my own list. Yes. I'm not relying on that because my list is worth so much more because I built it. That is the list out there, right? Right. So the book is the key to doing that. And I'll tell you this too once you write one book, because I'm talking lead magnet books, I'm not, I'm not right. talking war and peace here. I'm talking, right. you know, 100 page books that are never going to win a Pulitzer. Um, but they speak to a, a specific target audience and those people are willing to order it, pay for it, whatever, the very least give you their mailing address so that you can then market to them more going forward. And right. I don't know in this day and age where you're trying to distinguish yourself from everybody else out there. I can't think of a better, not only can I not think of a better way to do that than with a book. I don't understand how anybody could be successful without a book, unless they just had so much money to burn on, on, advertising whatever that they were able to overcome that but i don't care if you own if you're a groomer a, a pet groomer and i say that because you can't see it but i actually have a dog right here oh, there you go. or a um or if i had if you had you know a restaurant whatever if you have a book that that speaks to your audience and and, and talks about how you're different uh and you market that you're gonna you're gonna build a, a prospect list that's gonna be far more responsive to you than anything else you could try to market to 
Well said. I think I think the coolest one. I so so we did a book for a dog trainer, trained canine dogs for police forces. That was really cool. But I remember, oh, there he is. <laughs> I love that. Nine, nine weeks old. <laughs> I love it. Um, it's, my, it's my son's dog, actually. I'm babysitting him for the weekend. There's a um, going back to books of, of it doesn't matter what industry you're in of all yeah. industries. I was in a, a Meyer grocery store, which is yeah. Uh, right? yeah, we have him here. Fred Meyer, I think his name's Fred Meyer, who started the whole company years and years ago, has written a book and you can buy it in their grocery store. And I thought, as did Sam Walton back in the day. Yes. Yeah. And I, think, I, think, I think Sam's was called, which is very ironic, Made in America. Because yes. back in those days, he tried to buy everything local. He did. He did. <laughs> so if, if a grocery store. You would know that from being in Arkansas. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 But if a grocery store owner could create a book and, and do some marketing yes. with it and bond, anybody can do it because it doesn't get more commoditized than a grocery store, right? Well, no, it does not. That's the ultimate. Well, maybe maybe banking is the ultimate. Maybe banking. <laughs> right? Yeah. But well, it, you can uh, at least have food that's not spoiled, but cash is cash. But that's right. But yeah, no, it well, again, it, it's going to distinguish you from the others because it is so easy. I mean, competition just as everywhere, which is a good thing, but as a marketer, we have to um we have to counter that the fact that competition is everywhere. Uh, and we have to think of the ways to do it. And the truth of the matter is most of your competition isn't going to be willing to, to do that type of work, to write a book and, and to market it successfully, et cetera. So if you're willing to do it, great. That will automatically stand you apart from all the others. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for, thanks for taking some time, man. We could, we could go on for hours. I know. No, it was, it was a pleasure. I just want to leave one last thing about the book part. Yeah. A lot of times people are hesitant about doing a book because A, they don't know what to write about or B, they're, they're worried it won't be, it won't read well or whatever. Here's the reality. And it was a hard one for me to accept. People will order your book. By far, the overwhelming majority will never read it. Absolutely. Okay. But what they will do is identify themselves. Yeah. They will identify themselves as possibly being in your client niche. Yes. And that's why you're writing the book. I actually think you could write a book that has no, no words in it. You'd only get a complaint from maybe 10%. I really do. <laughs> That'd be a great test. You're probably I, right. I, I really think you can do it. All right. But once they're in, they're in. And now yeah. you can market to them. So don't worry that the book is crap. Now, you know, if you work with a good company like yours, it's going to be a good book. Right. But if if that's what's holding you back, well, don't. Don't. Well, I mean, we all buy books we hardly hardly finish. So. Dude. Yeah. Amen on that. I wrote my first book, Dan, back in 2013, wrote it myself. I didn't know a thing, published it myself and everything. got it off the presses, gave it to somebody. They read, they actually read it and they came back to me and said, you know, on page 43 of a typo. <laughs> I said, well, great. I'm glad you read my book. Thank you. Who well, cares? Let, let me give you, let me give your audience a, a great tip on that. All right. So I write a lot of stuff and I am known for my typos and, and it's not that I'm careless. I try really hard not to have any, yeah. I, this happened. Because why? Because I'm an implementer. I go fast, right? Right. Here's what you do. Whenever you come out with a new book, or you could even put this in the introduction. I definitely want you to have the book edited. But you put in there and you say, if you read this book, if you find any typos in this book and you notify me, I will give you $10. Now, what is that going to do? For $10, you're going to hire an editor. And B, you're going to motivate them to read the whole book. I love that. Right? Yeah. When I hand them out at seminars, that's what I do. Uh-huh. I say to them, now look, 
I'm going to this book. It's a self-published book. I pay three people to edit it. And I guarantee there's probably another typo in it. So here's what I'd like you all to do. Find it. Let me know what they are. And I'll give you, or give me whatever you want to give me. Give right. Me $100. Okay. You'd be surprised how few people are going to take you up on. But the point here is you can then, and then suddenly now it's like, oh, okay. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And you know what? If it's that big of a deal, then you don't want them as clients anyway. So don't right. worry. Right. That's beautiful. Um, we're going to start implementing that. I love there it. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, it's been a ton of fun, man. It, um, you just Pleasure, Michael. You have yourself a, a great holiday. And um, if, um, if I can be of help to you in the future, don't hesitate to reach out. All right. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Expert Speak with Michael DeLon. If what you've heard today was helpful to you, reach out to our expert guest and see how they can serve you to bring you more success, freedom, and purpose in your life.